Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hey, Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Abraham. We are on the road. I'm out here in rural Tennessee, outside of Nashville, Tennessee. We came out here with my wife to see the Lane Kiffin Bowl. Lane Kiffin's returned to Knoxville and uh, Alabama playing University of Tennessee. So I'm still on the road, and we're recording this a little bit differently than back in the studio. We're still going to have Dan Weber and Coach Harvey Hyde. A ton of your questions here on the Peristyle Podcast. It's Monday, October 27th, 2014, episode number 343. Of course, it's got to be a big show because so many questions. Another fourth quarter collapse for the USC Trojans. So we we got so many questions coming in here. I'm going to do my best to get to all of them, but it's going to be a difficult task. We'll try to get to as many as we can, at least get to most of the topics. And a lot of them are very similar. So I want to welcome in the coach, Harvey Hyde. Coach, what's going on, sir? How are you? Ryan, thank you very much. Uh, it's great uh, hearing from you down there in Tennessee, down in Knoxville somewhere. And I want to say, uh, uh, well, I don't know what to tell, I want to tell you. I just want to <laughs> say I think everybody's in a little bit, bit of shock here in Southern California. They must be down there in Knoxville, too, as far as the Alabama-Tennessee game and uh, the return of Lane Kiffin. But uh, out here in California uh, with the USC football uh, program, uh football program uh, a little bit of difficulty uh, in time management uh, losing three games uh, almost the same way uh, losing to Arizona State in the last three minutes a uh, nine-point lead uh, really beating Arizona uh, but almost blowing it on missed field goal We're lucky to win and then Utah with seven minutes to go they drive down and uh, all they need to do is keep the football and they win the football game and we'll get into all of that but uh Good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are. Let's get this done, Ryan. Yeah, we got a, we got a lot to get to. I just want to thank everyone. I didn't get to listen to your show Sunday morning, Coach. Unfortunately, I love to listen to the Trojan brunch, but um, I you know I was watching the game. Part of the Vol Navy. It was funny. We were on a boat outside on the Tennessee River outside of Neyland Stadium uh, when the game. You know, I came outside and was watching the USC game there, and a lot of interested SEC fans I was watching with, and they just couldn't believe it. And then, you know, not even realizing, oh, yeah, didn't they lose on that Hail Mary? And really, Coach, three fourth-quarter collapses. That's not something you want to be known for as a team or a coaching staff. I mean, they had a fourth-quarter collapse against Arizona. Luckily, Arizona missed a field goal, so it didn't come to fruition. But really, three games in the end. The Boston College is its own kind of debacle. But, you know, three fourth-quarter collapses uh, over the last several weeks and three historic losses this season at a five and three season where you're talking about giving up the most rushing yards, the most passing yards, and then losing to to Utah in the PAC 12 for the very first time and another collapse. So, I mean, just these aren't the kind of things you want on your resume. If you're a first year head coach, I would think. It's not that uh, good of a type of thing you have when you're on a national televised game. And Ryan, uh, I'm, want to thank our sponsors can you thank our sponsor here before we get started oh i'm I'm sorry about yeah i don't have my my uh 
Machida Prime, but Southern California Tickets is our sponsor. We'll play a, a break from that as well. But sctickets.com is where you can check it out. If you need tickets for anything, even if you want to go to the World Series, you want to check out the last couple of games, you can do that on sctickets.com. They're local here in Los Angeles, but also you can get tickets from anywhere you are in the country. So check them out. They've been helping us for years. Well, thank you very much. Yes, the uh, the, the Trojans have had problems in finishing a football game. Uh, they need to have playmakers. They need to get after it. I think they've been a little bit, again, I hate to use this term, try not to lose rather than to win and let it go and be who you are and hammer people. And if you can blow someone away, blow them away. Seems that they use different philosophies during the game. They pass the ball a lot. They have success with the ball, throwing it down the field, and they stop. As I've said all along, that everything that USC has as far as the passing game comes off of Buck Allen. I haven't really seen a series develop during the season so far. You run Buck Allen at the middle. You run him at the off tackle. You ran uh, one uh, outside play, I think, against uh, Utah. And then on crucial downs, you run plays you haven't seen the whole year, plays that you possibly haven't practiced that much. You run a two-back flat or a three-back flat and, throw the ball and stop the clock. and It reminded me, Ryan, of the same thing that happened in the Texas-USC game when they threw the ball in the flat, stopped the clock, came back, was fourth and two, just like it was fourth and two yesterday. They had two downs, run Allen on some type of play, get the first down, not stop the clock, make them burn a timeout as, as fourth down, not third down, because uh, if you don't complete the pass, then the, the clock stops automatically to move the chains. And then on the fourth down play, they won this, I don't know what they call it, counter-reverse or something where Aguilar lines up the tailback, so I think everybody might watch him. Uh, and they flip the ball out to him after faking a little inside handoff to Allen up the middle. And he doesn't have a real feel of running to his left as he does running to his right and his momentum carries him out of bounds where he should have had a presence. So all I need to do is tiptoe and get a first down and the game's over. The game is over, but no, uh, that happens. And of course now when they drive down the field, Ryan, you you can't let him get into rhythm. and, And now you've allowed Travis Wilson to gain confidence in himself. They didn't throw deep passes. They were just throwing little outs and this and that, but you got to, Rattle him a little bit. You got to go after him. You can't let him say, "I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay." No, you're not going to be okay. We're going to be in your face. So they don't do that. They lose contain. Uh, guy goes inside. He stands back there. Can't find anybody open. Runs down the sideline, and it's history. I get to the half yard line. But Ryan, I don't know if you. I don't know if you've been able to see that play. We looked at the video of that play and that play they scored on, which was a nice play to call because if it's incomplete, all you do is run another play. Because the clock stops. You'd have two seconds, run another play. But if you call the pick, which they did, the exact same play that Notre Dame got called for, except there's only one guy there, blocking, not trying to catch the ball, coming off the line and blocking like Wilson's going to run for the touchdown. Plattenberg can't get around him, goes out to the flat in the the official standing there looking at it, looking at it, and what would have happened, because it happened the last two minutes of the game, 
The second 10 seconds would have run off, and the game would have been over, and you say USC would have won the game somehow. But it didn't happen, but they shouldn't have been in that situation anyway. Yeah, no, good point. Yeah, I was watching that, and there was a lot of people tweeting pictures. Actually, we had a a question from Stephen Virginia. He was writing in about that pick play. He wanted to know about it. It wasn't the exact same thing, but there was pictures. People were tweeting about the – uh, the the Utah you know receiver doing the blocking and then also the you know from Notre Dame the same kind of thing it looked it looked to me almost exactly the same it was exactly the same there wasn't any effort for him to even turn around to catch the ball he just came off the line and if you're a receiver you can't tell if he's going to run for it or not so how if you're a defensive back so how can you tell so you know uh, he blocked him and then of course Plattenberg didn't have a shot to get to the the receiver didn't have a shot to get to him, so he yeah. showed him the ball, and the game's over. Um, all right. Well, Steve Virginia, we wanted to. He he made it sound like there was no one talking about it. There's certainly, we wanted to talk about it. People were talking about it on Twitter, on the message boards, and stuff. Um, Edward, who's the Memphis. No, Tennessee. no. Let me let me interrupt you. So you oh. know, excuse me. I want him to know. People aren't talking about. It. You don't hear that guy that you know always comes on the expert, the expert that comes on and evaluates the calls. Oh, well, you know. Uh, oh, Mike Pereira, yeah. Yeah, Mike Pereira. Well, I really believe that uh, the official, I like to go with it. If it's close, go with the call on the field. Well, what, obviously, the two I saw, I didn't know if he was looking at the same game I was watching. <laughs> I, 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 I thought, oh, I'm back on the wrong channel. <laughs> I, so, no, I, I was on the right channel. He was on the right channel. When they fumbled the ball and stripped the ball and, he wasn't sure if Adoy stripped the ball or if that was a fumble and over on the sideline if that was a fumble or not. I mean, I don't know what he was looking at. Uh, he was afraid to make a call that might go against what the officials have called. Hey, they're paying you to tell us what your thoughts are and why. And he never brought up or nobody brought up that pick play the last play of the game. No one brought it up. No one. Yeah, on the broadcast and stuff. People like since then, people have talked about it. Of course, like we are talking about it right now. Um, I'll actually send another email to the Pac-12 this week, this weekend, and see or this week. And Brian, I've lost you. I hope you're still there. Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, I want to send a. I lost you for. You got me, Coach. I got you now, buddy. Yeah, sorry about that, everyone. We we uh, I'm I'm in a remote area, so the internet isn't the the most reliable, and that's how we're we're doing this phone call. But I'll make a call into the Pac-12 uh, this week and and see if we can get any answers on some of those things. We didn't get great answers last week or two weeks ago when I wrote in, so we'll see what happens this week. But um, Edward in Memphis, he's in uh, he's a Memphis, Tennessee Trojan. He wanted to know, and I, he goes, I think this is an interesting point I wanted to bring up with you. He said, this, also, this might be a stretch, but I think the mentality from the previous coaching staff is hurting us. Coach O did a great job of motivating, and the guys played with a chip on their shoulder each and every game. This team uh, had been through so much and had nowhere to go but up. I think the mentality, that mentality has carried over a bit and that this team does not really have as much urgency throughout the games. It feels like we are waiting to get hit in the mouth and face a little adversity before we check into the game. What are your thoughts on this? Could this be the reason why they're playing so soft in the, the third quarters of games? Well, you know, first of all, this team still doesn't have an identity. I mean, I'm still trying to figure it out if it's a hurry-up offense or hurry-up offense or not a hurry-up offense. Utah ran more plays than USC did, 74-70, to 70, and they huddle up. 
So I'm not quite sure what the identity is of the USC football team as far as offensively. Defensively, I think I know what they're trying to do. But offensively, I'm not sure what their identity is, right? I'm not sure if it's a – I know one thing. I would have thought that if I – if there was a huddle when it was third down and two, and you're in a huddle and you're looking at each other, you say, guys, we got to get a first down. We get a first down. We're going to win this football game. It's over. It's over. Ready, break. And the big guy takes the ball and you wedge block or whatever your play is, but you don't run it right up the middle, but that's where everyone's submarining. And you get back in the huddle. If it's fourth and one, and you say, this is it. This is it, man. Ready, break. I think it's hard to have a big play like that and understand what's going on when you're standing on the line of scrimmage looking to the sideline. So I think it needs to have a, an identity of who they are. Now, you go to every practice. I went to a lot of practices in the fall. Out there, you don't hear anybody really putting a chip on anybody. Everybody's in love with everybody. <laughs> uh, there's got to be a guy that when you screw up, you're afraid to come off in your sideline. You think you might be better off going on on the visiting team sideline or the other team. But you screwed up. There's got to be an enforcer on every coaching staff. I used to have one on offense and on defense. The guys used to say, oh, no, i got to come off the field or whatever. Not that these players didn't love this guy. If you're talking about Trojans that are out there, the Margoos, the people like that, hey, you can't say anything bad about Margoo to anybody. You're in trouble if a player played for USC during his era. So I think discipline is what kids want and understanding where they stand and having a chip. I'm the type of guy that likes to, to go out and tell them about what we need to do today and, and tell them, you know, let's go home, let's have a good time, let's kick their butt and all this and that. You've got to have an identity. And right now I don't think this team has an identity, especially after the second play of the game. Ryan, if, in case somebody <laughs> didn't ask this question, I, I, I went and put my head in the toilet, okay? I said that on the Trojan brunch <laughs> this morning, flushed it two or three times. I, I really did. But they teach that in Pop Warner as far as when the ball's thrown behind the quarterback. And it wasn't even close. No one went for the football. The whistle wasn't blown. I mean, that is a poor way to start a football game off. Yeah, they, I mean, they did that a couple years ago, too. And uh, they were able to bounce back this game. They bounced back, but then uh, not as much. The five straight three and outs, it just wasn't quite there for them. Um, Jesse Rodriguez had a question. He's a U.S. Army retired. Uh, why do they continue to use Andre Walker at any tackle position? He has tackle size, but just can't handle the outside rush because he's a guard. What do you think about what, what Andre Walker did? I thought he did okay coming in you know, for uh, Chad Wheeler, who went out with an injury. Well, you know uh... – let me tell you, uh, I did too, Ryan, and Mr. Garcia, I want you to know, uh, you may be watching him every play. I didn't watch him every play, but the plays I watched in Nate Orchard, he was blocking. He was one of, well, he is the leading pass uh, sacker in the country. He didn't get a sack in the game. Uh, he's a big, uh, he has all the potential in the world. He just has to want to play. It's his turn. If he wants to play, he'll be in the NFL starting someday. Uh, I thought he did a pretty good job. Run blocking wasn't as good as pass blocking, but he hadn't played a lot either, especially at the left tackle. Uh, if he has played there, I, I don't know. I know he's been playing the right tackle. I was wondering when Wheeler went down, and by the way, so for everybody out there, he blew his knee out, Wheeler, and, 
and he's going to be gone for the entire season, which is a shame. Uh, so Walk will be playing that left tackle, and if he wants to get after it, he'll be a good player there. So I thought he did pretty good, Ryan. If you watched it, I think you felt the same way. So, but maybe Mr. Garcia out there watched him every single play, and and I can't argue with him on that. It was Rodriguez, actually. Uh, that's okay. Oh, no, Rodriguez? Yeah, Sir, I, I apologize. <laughs> I apologize. That just, yeah. just showed you. Yeah, and thanks for your service. Uh, the, uh, he's Army retired. He retired from the, the U.S. Army. Um, Ed and Aliso Viejo uh, wrote in, had a couple points. He said, why do the receivers go in motion at such a deep angle behind uh, and in the backfield and – you know, why does this team not seem to be prepared for the likely consequences when you get a broken play in this area ends up being second or third and long, or you end up getting a bad turnover, like you mentioned. And he said, Nelson Aguilar in particular seems to frequently take steps backwards or sideways after he catches the ball when he's closer, just past the first down marker. So it's getting a little worried for Ed. Well, you know, first of all, the reason they they go behind is they want to be able to be in a position so the defense thinks they're going to catch a swing pass of some type and they have their momentum going straight up the field and they have their shoulders facing the quarterback. Um, You know, I think it's a waste of time. Just line him up over there. Uh, But, you know, they run a lot of motion. They set guys here and there. And uh, I think you've got to have serious... If you're going to run him in motion, run him across, run him across in front of Buck Allen so you can fake the ball to him and give it to Buck or fake it and come out and hit him in the flat or run a fly sweep or do something like that and have that more or less be a running back coming across like if Davis and Allen played in this backfield at the same time. Nelson uh, is a great receiver, but he has trouble at making running back moves. So uh, I agree. I, I don't exactly do that or want would want to do that. You see them doing that. Uh, you know, so everybody has a purpose why they do things. You know, obviously uh, they're putting him in motion to uh, utilize that motion to see what the secondary coverage is or throw a swing pass to him or they think that's keeping uh, the defense off balance in this secondary. But I, I don't know why. Like I mentioned, uh, if you want to run a fly sweep or have a series off of that where you fake the handing the ball off to uh, him coming across in front of the tailback and then giving it to Buck Allen or play action play action passing off of a, a series of cross, cross action, I think it would be good. But just to run him out there behind, what else can he do? You know, all he do is runs a swing pattern. He can't get up the field and get off the ball real well. So uh, I don't know what they're doing and why they do it. Um, David had an interesting question. So there's a lot of criticism, Coach, uh, about the coaching staff, of course. A lot of these questions have to deal with they're not happy with Steve Sarkeesian, they're not happy with Justin Wilcox. But there's there's other factors, too, and David's kind of one of these guys that are putting more of the blame on the players. So I wanted to get your thoughts on this. He said, what a disappointment. My thoughts are the coaches could be better, but you can't put the blame on the coaches alone. The players are not playing to their expectations. How do you explain for the lack of execution there towards the end? If you could push them around for three quarters, why do you get pushed around in the fourth? So that's David in the OC putting more of the blame on the players. Well, you know, I think 
it's a combination. You can't blame it on the coaches. You can't blame it on the players. If players get holding penalties or drop the football or don't make plays, then the players uh, are letting down the team or letting the coaches down. If you jump off sides or you have a legal procedure, then that's the player. But if it's a combination, if if the play you call isn't blocked properly or the play you call doesn't match up with the down-distance situation or doesn't uh, fit uh, the times of the game or what you need to do. Do you need a four-minute drive? Do you need to just – you need three points? you need seven points? What's happening in the game? Do you need to get a sack because you're, the quarterback you're playing is in rhythm? You, you can't allow him to continue to drive the ball down the field. You've got to make a big play. Someone's got to make a play. Now, that's on the coaches as far as calling some type of, of rush or some type of blitz. Cravens makes plays all over the field. Just watch him make plays. Two sacks, uh, minus 22 yards uh, behind the line of scrimmage and tackles. I mean, tipping, tipping footballs. I mean, the guy's a great player. He's a playmaker. You've got to have playmakers. And then with playmakers, you have a chance along with a coach calling the right offense, right defense, down-distance situations. So you don't want to say I'm pointing the blame on this person or that player. If you all win together, you all lose together, and you got to have a team performance. And what they have not been able to do is finish a football game. Finish it. Don't get conservative. Throw the ball down the field. Run Buck Allen. You're not going to score on every single play. If you get two yards, that's fine. But get smart on what plays you should be running on what part of the field. Continue running. Throw the ball down the field. Don't be afraid to throw the ball down the field. You had great success at it earlier. You, you hit Well, you missed uh, Juju Smith for a touchdown on that one. So, you know, you've got to be able to, to have a philosophy. Are you a wide-open football team? Are you a hurry-up offense football team? And get the kids believing in it so they know exactly what's expected of them. Hey, Coach, you just mentioned that Juju Smith play. And we had, there's a lot, if you watch Twitter throughout the game or anywhere, you know, message boards, the, the criticism of Cody Kessler is all over the place. And uh, Jim and Canyon Country wrote, Country wrote in. He said, I know, uh, he said, Cody Kessler can't throw the deep ball with accuracy because he doesn't have the arm for it. He's basically just putting that out there. He's like, look, it's not a bad thing, but just that's just something he can't do. But it, it's curious to me, Coach, what you thought of Cody Kessler, his play. Can he do those kind of throws? Because the criticism is all over the place. He throws for seven touchdowns last week. You know, he struggles a little bit, and then people criticize him. Then he has a great drive, and then people are happy with him again. So it seems like it's, it's like Cody Kessler can't make anybody happy, it seems. Well, as a quarterback, when you win and you have a great game, everybody loves you. If you lose, it's like the coach. Nobody loves you. It's always your fault as far as missing a pass like that. He feels worse than anybody. He knew the kid was wide open. He overthrew him. If anything, he didn't underthrow him. He, he overthrew him. And uh, But that, that doesn't mean you don't come back to those type of routes and you don't run crossing routes. and you don't. They ran a cross pattern early in the game. Guy was wide open, caught the ball. Aguilar ran a post. It was wide open. Looked great catching it. So did uh, Juju Smith caught a post. Wide open. Man. They were there. They were scared. They were scared of the receivers along with the running game. So you can't pull back. you got to keep going after them. Uh, they've got to fear you as a receiver and as passing team as well as a running game. And it seems as though they become very conservative at times, very conservative. And uh, I don't think you can do that when you're, when you're playing because your defense is good. 
but your defense gets run down and they, they can't play. I thought the defense played well enough to win. I really did. They, yeah. they, they, I mean, they drove the ball down the field position. Ryan, the field position, they had terrible field position. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Hackett, their punter, out-punted uh, SC's punter. The field position was unbelievable where they got the football. Yeah. So, you know, they stripped the ball twice. They would have had two other touchdowns. But somehow they managed uh, to strip the football where they recovered the football, and they didn't give up. I have to give them credit. They did not give up on that goal line fed. They stripped that football and got that football. That's pride. And the same thing with Adoree Jackson. I thought he played a great football game. I thought Seymour played a great football game. Uh, you had, uh, I mean, yeah, the announcer was talking about, yeah, he should be getting pass interferences and this and that. Oh, yeah, it's easy to say all that. Yeah, he did. He was holding a little bit. But if you notice, later on, they called it on a big play, and they got a pass interference penalty on that last drive. So it all equals out. Everything equals out. But uh, I, I think Cody in the right offense would be a great player. I don't think this offense fits Cody Kessler. I just don't feel it does because this offense is designed for a running quarterback like Hundley and then these other guys. This offense is not designed for a quarterback to throw from the pocket. Well, speaking of that, Marcel maybe had the best question. Is this, you know, there's uh, seven words to it. He wrote in, and this was right after the game, is it illegal for Cody to run? <laughs> he wants to know why he isn't. I mean, he's an athletic enough kid. Why isn't he running a little bit more? No, it's not illegal. And I think he well, I think he runs well enough just once in a while to run and keep with him. Uh, or bootleg with him when they go one way and the play goes the other way. You see all of everybody else does it just to keep people honest. Uh, the way they come pounding in the middle and pinching down as far as the close-off Buck Allen in the middle, if he was to pull that out and run around uh, either at the bootleg side or, or towards the play, uh, it might be there. But they don't call it. They call it one time. I think it was the Fresno State game, and he scored a touchdown. I think he had to go about four or five yards, and he scored a touchdown. But that's something they don't do, and that's why – this offense is limited as far as the running game, but you don't you don't spread the field. You don't hit the perimeter. This offense is basically designed for Mariota, these type of players that you see that they run the fakes inside to keep the ball, they run the bootleg, they throw on the run, they run the cross fire the cross action in there with a guy in motion, they step back and throw the ball down the field. And those offenses wouldn't work unless you ran the football well. Now they know Cody's not going to run the football, so it limits what this offense can bring you. Um, one last one I want to get to. I know I apologize. We, we're getting some cutouts here because of the Internet connection, but hopefully people are getting the, the gist of, of what's going on here. But the, we've had some people criticizing the players more, but a lot of the criticism coming in, it's kind of emails like this one from Kendall. Uh, he says, I don't know if, this, if Sark is Kiffin 2.0 or Hackett 2.0. That's kind of harsh. Uh, another game where we don't play to our talent level. Coach Sark isn't coaching players up. He's teaching them how to lose. You see a total lack of confidence on the sidelines late in the game, well, except for the walk-ons fake cheering. Hashtag fire Sark and Hayden. So a lot of angry fans, Coach, at the at the coaching staff. Well, uh, you know, you know that as a head football coach that when you win, everybody's going to love you. And when you lose, everybody's going to hate you. Winning solves everything. Uh, uh, Sark, uh, Coach Sark, uh, you know, has lost a lot of close football. 
football games. One week it was because they gave up 400 yards in rushing. The next week it's something else. Uh, they haven't had a a con a, a, a really haven't had a identity. They haven't really performed weekly to the limits of what people expect them to perform. And this is USC. At USC, you go there to go to the Rose Bowl. You go there to win the Pac-12 championship, whatever comes after that. If you didn't go to the Rose Bowl before, you had a disappointing season. Now it's survival in the Pac-12. Uh, you know, and when you lose games, when people can see you lose games, how you lose games, up by nine, uh, Boston College rushing for that many yards, no adjustments, uh, a missed field goal, and you beat Arizona. Uh, you lose last night at Utah uh, when you could have won the game and should have won the football game. The call play, play calling at certain times during the game, getting conservative, uh, all of those type of things just lead up to uh, the type of comments and questions we're getting now. Uh, I haven't seen the team get better. What I mean by that is I haven't seen it get an identity. I haven't seen them really one week, the run's doing well, then it's not doing well. They throw for seven touchdown passes last week. They don't. They throw for one. One this week, I think it was, and no, they threw for two. I think it was, and then you don't throw at all. So people want to know who we are. Who are we? I mean, what are we trying to accomplish so we can ride along with you and cheer and get it done? And I think that's one thing that hasn't happened this year. And, you know, people aren't listening to it, the sanctions. People aren't listening to that anymore because that's not why they're losing close football games. Everybody knows it. So you can't keep saying that. People are The people that listen to this show and people that know football, you can't BS them. They know football. They know what's right and what's wrong. I'm the more, uh, you know, type of guy that says, hey, if I had better players – then I'm not going to screw them up. I'm going to make sure they understand what they're supposed to do. We're going to execute it right. And uh, the only way you're going to beat us, unless we beat ourselves, is you've got to have better players than we do. Because I'm going to have better players than you do. And I still say this. I wouldn't exchange USC's roster with any roster in the Pac-12. I still say that. Because they have great players. It's just making sure these great players perform. Yeah. And, and they haven't been doing that. That's why the criticism's there, Coach. All right. Well, thanks for coming on. And I know you know it's a little different show, road show here, but I appreciate you coming and, and joining us on the show and answering everyone's questions. I'm sorry we didn't get to – everyone will try to get to a whole bunch more with Dan Weber in the next segment. But thanks again, Coach. Thanks a lot, my man. I wish it could be more positive, but when people ask questions, we try to answer them and uh, do our very best. And remember, it's just an opinion. Yeah, that's our opinion. All right. Well, thanks again, Coach. We will talk to you again next week and everyone else back in a minute. We're going to talk with USCfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. 
or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concerts, sports, and theater. Oh, man. What's wrong? It's my marketing guy. I can't get in touch with him, and I'm still waiting on simple website changes to get done. Who are you using? Uh, Some cheap and easy website company. I just can't get results. It's so frustrating. I never had that problem with my marketing company. I use Circle Marketing. They're always available, very friendly, and do great work. My business has seen improvements. They handled my website, online ads, and much more. Go to circlemarketing.com and see if they're right for you. Circlemarketing.com, huh? Well, go there right now. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. All right, we are back here on the Peristyle Podcast. Unfortunately, we are not going to have Dan Weber joining us, like we said. Um, Just be here on the road. We've had a lot of internet connection problems with uh, being out in rural Tennessee, and Dan was exhausted from coming back from Utah. He's also uh, Monday morning going to the Todd McNair NCAA hearing, so we weren't able to do it uh, early Monday morning like we were planning on it. So we're just going to have Skip Dan this week. I'll do a solo segment and try to get to as many of your questions as possible here on the Peristyle podcast. So I do apologize for that. We'll get Dan again back next week. And uh, it's been a little crazy this week on the show, so thanks for bearing with us. And we'll do our best to get to all of your questions. All right, let's jump right in. want to get to some of the questions that you guys have sent in. We're going to go to John in Oakland first. He said, do you think Mr. Sarkeesian has the courage at the end of the season to objectively review the performance of his staff and replace those coaches that are not cutting it? Uh, John in Oakland. Very interesting question. Now, it's a first-year staff, and I think a lot of the fan base and a lot of the even the media when we're covering this team, we're looking at this as an extension of last year's season where Ed Orgeron came in and, you know, with – three different head coaches, they won 10 games and the whole debacle going on there. So I think for us, the way we talk about it, it's not like this is a first-year head coach, which to be fair, it's not really fair to Steve Sarkeesian. It's not fair to his staff, but that's kind of the the situation that they were brought into. So for me, I think if you look at, if you talk to Steve Sarkeesian and, you know, when we have and, and talking about, I mean, he mentions the first-year head coach, the first, you know, year of the system, trying to get the guys ready. So I think, in to my honest opinion, in his mind, he's not going to be saying, ah, the defense fell fell apart in the last part of you know th- this many games. We have to take a look at Justin Wilcox. I don't think you're going to see something like that. Maybe, you know, there's an assistant or two that are gone. But it, my honest gut feeling is it, it would be that the assistant wanted to leave and go somewhere else as opposed to Steve Sarkeesian saying, we need to fire this coach or that coach or whatever it is. So uh, I don't know if it's about courage or whatever, but I think in his mind, he's got his system in place. This is only year one. Now, the way these last you know few games end up, I think it could be a big deal on, you know, if they end up you know, going on a losing streak and, and lose out and, and that, you know, something like that. Yeah, I think you'd have to do something. But you know, if they win the games they're supposed to win, uh, you know, lose the rivalry games or split them or something. I just don't think that there's going to be some kind of major changes going on there. It's just my opinion, but um, just my thoughts. Just kind of talking to Steve Sarkeesian, it doesn't seem like he's saying, oh, we need to make a whole bunch of changes. He brought those guys in uh, 10, 11 months ago or whatever it was, and I think he's ready to, to roll with those guys. So thanks for that one, John. Let's go to Melvin. Uh, what can Coach Sark and uh, Pat Hayden do? about Coach Wilcox and his debacles at the end of the game 
strategies. Um, so kind of similar, Melvin always talking about there. I mean, I think Steve Sarkeesian's had Justin Wilcox's back. I don't think Pat Hayden's going to have anything to do with saying, hey, Steve Sarkeesian, you need to fire uh, Justin Wilcox. I just don't see that happening. Now, we've seen a lot of people be critical of Wilcox. When you lose a game like you did at Boston College, you know, where a team could just run on you at will, Arizona State, when they're throwing at will, giving up those kind of points. And then, you know, this is a different one where, you know, I think the defense played pretty well. You know, it's not even like played pretty well most of the game. I, I don't put this on the defense as much because they were out there a lot. I think going three and out five straight times like the USC offense did, I don't think you can have the kind of expectations that, boom, this is how it happens. Now, it, yes, at the end of the game, you have to be able to get a stop, and they haven't been able to do that. But I think overall, the defense played pretty well in this one. You know, now, Were there opportunistic plays at the end in the red zone? Yes. I mean, they still gave up yards. They still let, team, you know, still let Utah get down there. If you don't make those big plays and get those fumbles – uh, it's a different story for sure, but um, they were put out there in a lot of bad situations. The field position was not in USC's favor the entire game. Um, so I think in that kind of a situation, I'm not you know, saying, oh, you should call for Justin Wilcox's head. Now they probably have to make some adjustments and things like that. There are other games I think you could be a lot more critical of Justin Wilcox than this Utah game. I think this is more on the, the op- to me, it's more on the offense and the and specifically the play calling, I wasn't very happy with the, the way all that went. All right, next one. This was, isn't about the game, but I wanted to get this one uh, to Donnie. He said, I really appreciate your pulse on the program. I had a few questions. Is there any way Josh Shaw takes a redshirt year and comes back? Uh, short answer, no. Long answer, no, it's not going to happen. Um, don't think we're going to see him anymore. I just, you know, even just the way it's going, it, it, the fact that he wasn't out there this last week practicing, I just don't see there's someone in the administration does not want this to happen. I don't see him coming back in red shirting. Just, you know, he's going to move on. Um, any chance a guy like Leonard Williams due to his genuine love of football decides he wants to get his degree and enjoy one more year of college football. I'll give you the same answer. No way. Not even, not even remotely possible. Leonard Williams is gone. There's no question in my mind that Leonard Williams will be playing in the NFL next year. So, Nope, sorry about that. Uh, if we can somehow convince the draft-eligible juniors to stay, that would help the numbers and allow us to redshirt more freshmen. That's true, Donnie, but I just don't see it happening, especially the way the season's going. This is not the kind of season where there's questions about the staff, there's questions about how you finish games. Uh, you know, The young guys can still be encouraged. They're going to be around for a while. The older guys, the seniors, it's very disappointing. Because now people talked about it after this Utah game. You don't want to see this happen to seniors there losing games in the last second and collapsing at the end. Well, for a draft-eligible junior, it's almost like the same thing. But they're a senior with a choice. You know, they can come back or they can leave. And I just don't see, you know, I think I think Aguilar, Buck Allen, Leonard Williams, I think those guys are gone. I just don't think you're going to see them uh, around anymore. So, yeah, I know it's, it'd be great. I think it would certainly help with the numbers. I, I understand as... You know, fans want to see that happen, but the reality of the situation is I would be absolutely shocked if those guys, any of them, came back. All right, let's go back to the email questions. This one came in from David in Orange County. Uh, first, please don't hate me for this, Dan, and uh, I'm going to answer this for Dan since he's not here. He was listening to Dan on the uh, instant analysis Saturday night, and it sounded like he blamed it all on the coaches 
for both those fourth down plays uh, being never run before. What's really funny is if Sark would have run the ball with Buck and failed, most likely it would have been Sark keeps calling the same plays that are not working or plays they know is coming. I thought it was a great call. Put it on the shoulder of your best players based on the critics of Cody and Nelson. The coaches could only put it in a situation to make plays. The rest is up for the players to make it happen. And, uh, David, I am not in your camp. I'm definitely in, in Dan's camp in this one. And let me – I'll kind of reiterate some of the stuff that Dan said. But um, And I didn't get to ask Steve Sarkeesian about this, and I wanted to. After the Fresno State game, he talked about the success they had on third downs. And they weren't – what he said was, we were calling the plays that the players felt comfortable running. Stuff we ran in practice, stuff we used a lot. And these guys knew. So – it was third and 15. Maybe you're calling a play that's better for third and eight. It wasn't the most uh, statistically, um, you know, schematically the right play to call or, or, you know, perfect play. Here's a, this play should work, blah, 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 this percentage of the time. It was the play that they had practiced a lot, and they think that it could have a higher level of success. And so maybe it wasn't designed for this situation, but it's something that the players know, put it in the players' hands, and let them do it. The feeling that we got in a lot of those critical downs, the fourth down calls, and especially the end of the game, the third and two and the fourth and two, you're throwing to Jaleel Pinner. Was he open? Yes. Uh, did Cody short arm it and not have a great grip on it? Yes. Have you seen that play work? Have you seen it run? We haven't really seen it in practice all that much, if, if at all. It's not like, yeah, did they, did they not execute the play? Yes. Can you say it's the player's fault because they didn't execute it? Sure. But... Wouldn't it be better if you ran a play a whole lot in practice and it was you gave them a feeling of comfort, something they know they could execute and something they could run? Uh, they didn't do that. And I think that's the biggest issue there. And same thing with the fourth down play. We haven't seen that before. I mean, to me, what he talked about after the Fresno State game was we ran plays that the players were comfortable with. That was different than what Lane Kiffin would do. Then it had this huge 100-whatever, 30 plays that each can be reversed, 200-something plays. And he would call, I think this is the best call in this situation. doesn't matter if they hadn't run it for six months. In his mind, this was the best call. So I think in the same kind of thing you're seeing with Steve Sarkeesian, I think he got back to that, a little more of that, then here's, here's what the team was comfortable with. Yeah, Nelson Aguilar and uh, you know Cody Kessler, is that your best option? But is your best option pitching it to Aguilar and running a play he hasn't run? or running a little slant or something that give him a chance to make a play on the ball. Something we run a hundred times in practice. And if it doesn't work, we gave it our best shot. Even, and like Dan said, running the football, you know, put your jumbo package in, whatever you got to do. They're keying in the run. You know, he was very adamant about running the football before that. It's a good in that situation that if you do run the football, the clock will at least keep running. So even if you don't get anything, you're, you're, you're still getting something out of it. Um, so yeah, I, I'm not in that camp, David. I agree with what Dan was saying. These weren't plays that were run a whole bunch of times and the players were comfortable with just can't run out there and, and run a play. to something we we've talked about. It's something we've drawn up before. Have you done the reps? Do you know it? Has Julio Pinner caught a whole bunch of balls in games? No. Has he caught a whole bunch of balls in pressure situations in games? Certainly not. So that's what Dan is talking about. And that's what I'm talking about why those calls we didn't feel were the right ones in that situation. All right, let's get back to the questions. We got uh, Lawrence in San Jose. Love the podcast. You guys do a great job, and the only reason why Mondays are tolerable. Thank you very much. 
uh, was wondering with Chad Wheeler's ACL injury, do you see this being a potential two-year setback? The reason I asked is because I know he was pretty underweight when he came in, now with his injury and his inability to really work out for a while. Do you foresee him losing a lot of weight and having an issue putting muscle back on? Um, interesting question. Yeah, No, I don't think so. Steve Sarkeesian talked about they're going to have the surgery fairly soon. They want him back for fall camp, uh, essentially. So that's kind of the time frame they're looking at. So I don't, to me, it doesn't seem like that's going to be some sort of situation where he's going to be out a couple of years. I mean, he was undersized to begin with. I don't see him uh, getting a whole lot you know, smaller. He'll be able to work out a lot of that. I mean, these guys, especially at their age, they bounce back fairly quickly. So I don't, I don't see that being kind of a two-year setback thing. They want him back for fall camp next year. So we'll... We'll have to see how his healing process goes. But unfortunately for him, um, you know, I thought he was playing pretty well. Andre Walker came in and did a pretty decent job too. But uh, that's just one of those situations where they're not very deep. Losing your left tackle is, is a, a big deal no matter how you slice it. So it makes those last few games even harder. Uh, let's go to Jordan. Would it make sense to switch centers? Cody spent the entire game fielding snaps at his knees. These low snaps will eventually cost us a game. Um very interesting there, uh, Jordan. I don't see that happening. We talked to Steve Sarkeesian Sunday night, and he said uh, they're going to move Andre Walker to left tackle. I don't see them moving Max Turk over there unless there's a complete collapse. I mean, they, this was the best front seven in the Pac-12 statistically, and this offensive line, even when Wheeler went out, still did a good job against them. So I think he likes the way it's going. There have been some games where there's high snaps, low snaps. There's been a problem. I don't think it's uh, – I mean, you could argue that some of these have cost them games already, but to me it doesn't seem like they're wanting to change that, that that's where they want to go. I'm sure they'll keep working on it, but, you know, you're this far into the season and snapping is still being a bit of an issue. So that's uh, – <laughs> I mean, it's definitely a concern, but I don't see something like that uh, changing. I don't think they're going to change uh, centers at this point. Uh, let's see. This is from Dennis. Hey, Ryan, Dennis and Lancaster really liked uh, some of the individual improvements our players had on offense and defense, but once again are, and this is all in caps, lack of offensive and defensive play calling in the second half did us in. Sark's philosophy to play to not lose isn't working. Whatever happened to play to win, and Wilcox's inability to adjust to anything in the second half has cost us another game. With another fourth quarter collapse, how many more losses will it take for Wilcox to be gone? I cannot listen to Sark. Say so we have to coach better after another loss. Love the show and fight on. That's kind of a similar situation there. No, I do agree, though, that there's – I put a lot of this on the coaching staff. And, uh, you know, fair or not, but I do think that that's the biggest issue kind of going on here right now. Like I said, I don't think – you know, this wasn't Wilcox's worst game or anything. Um, you know, I, I think they were put in a lot of bad situations. They came up with some big plays. Uh, you know, some big plays in the red zone that the, the uh, Adore Jackson should have been a touchdown, you know. Um, so there's there's a lot of little things that kind of go wrong here. But I think the main thing you want, I don't want to look at, you know, this specific play or that one for this general question. I want to talk about if you looked at the rosters, which team is more talented? Which, you know, which team, you know, and, and we heard Kyle Winningham talk about they're probably the most talented team we're going to see in the conference. I mean, he's not thinking that his Utah squad has more talent than USC. Yes, the team isn't deep. Uh, there's young guys playing. You know, the first two touchdowns the Trojans scored were 
true freshmen, but there are five-star guys. I mean, those are guys who are expected to come in and play, and they have. This roster is talented enough that you should not have lost to Boston College, should not have lost to Arizona State, should not have lost to Utah, and really shouldn't have been that close to, to Arizona either. Those should have been wins. Now, there, you know, maybe you play Notre Dame or, or UCLA or something, and, and you feel it got outplayed and whatever, but this is a team that's talented enough to win and win the games they did, and, and especially not lose in the fashion that they did. That's why I think a lot of the frustration is out there, and uh, that, I mean, I think that's what you're seeing. And that's my biggest issue is that you know, maybe this game, that game, whatever you want to talk about, but really there's so much, there's so much talent on this team even if it's thin, even if they're not that deep, and now it might get, you know, now there might be real excuses. You lose some more guys. Tavai's out for a few weeks. Uh, you know, Chad Wheeler's gone for the year. Th- that kind of stuff can hurt you now, like for the UCLA game, Notre Dame game, things like that. But leading up to it, they had enough players to win those games that we were talking about. All right, we had uh, James write in, and it was a really long <laughs> email. We couldn't read the whole thing, and I, I wrote him back, and he apologized, but no problem, James. But his main thing is he wanted to know about uh, if there's a member of the staff that kind of held down the motivational role like Marv Goo or Ed Orgeron did in the past. And uh, thanks for that one, James. It's a really interesting question. You know, you, you knew that the Ed Orgerons of the world, you know, what they were going to do. Um, and I'm trying to think on this staff. And this would be a good one for Dan. I'll, I'll ask him. Maybe we can... If you want to resend that one in for the next one, we can kind of talk about it, or I'll talk about it on the message boards and stuff this week. Um, who do you hear yelling out there? Like Clay Helton, you hear a lot on the practice field, but you know he's working with the quarterbacks. He's he's definitely more vocal than I think we've seen him in the past. Is he kind of like the motivational guy? I, I wouldn't think so. Um, Chris Wilson for the defensive line, you know, taking Ed Orgeron's job, very much. Uh, he's a he's a yeller and a screamer out there too, but. He's more of a, a hard ass. Like he's a guy that's making guys accountable. Not that I'm not saying Ed Orgeron wasn't, but I don't. You know, it's a first year guy. He's new to the staff. Same thing with Clay Helton. He's not part of like the main body of the staff that Steve Sarkeesian brought in. I don't think those guys are really capable of being that motivational guy because they're not. I mean, you know, they brought in a bunch of guys from the same staff. It's kind of like that's the main guys, and then these other guys are kind of fitting in. So. Um, it's interesting, but I don't see Chris Wilson as like the, the motivational dude. He's a guy that'll get on you and, uh, holds guys accountable and things like that. Um, I mean, T Martin's like, everyone loves him and stuff, but he's not the yeller screamer, uh, kind of motivational dude. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say Tim Drevno on the offensive line. He's kind of quiet about stuff. We don't get to see them as much because they're way on the other side of the field, but he, you know, I think he sticks with his dudes a lot. Um, you know, Peter Sermon, former NFL dude. Uh, but I think he's more of a quiet, quieter guy, too. Uh, it's interesting. Yeah, I'm trying to think of going through the staff off the top of my head. And uh, I'm not really finding the guy. You know, everyone has different personalities. You don't need, hey, here's a guy you need for this. Here's a guy you need for that. But is there someone kind of filling that Orgeron role? I don't really think there is. But, you know, send that in again, and we'll talk to Dan about it next week. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, what he has to say. Uh, Ron in uh, Boyton Beach, Florida. Okay. He says, I love the podcast. I've been listening to all the comments regarding the football program and Sarkeesian since the beginning of the season. And the truth is, Pat Hayden hired an individual 
with a nominal record from his previous job to coach an elite position that needs a rock star who's ready to go from day one. Both Sarkeesian and Kiffin are coaches who were not ready to lead. End of story. Trojans fans now have to look forward to secondary tier bowls instead of the Rose Bowl. Forget the national championship. Nothing will change until Pat Hayne is removed as athletic director, Sark is let go, and a search for a qualified candidate worthy of USC football begins. Wow. Fight on. That's from Ron. Um, you know, I think Ron has some good points here. I'm not saying you should fire everyone or, or, or Sarkeesian can't do it. But I think Sarkeesian, fair point is, he's underperformed with the talent that he's had here. Was he a proven coach at Washington? He proved he could take a bad team and turn it into a, a pretty good team. Going 0-12, I think that's a major accomplishment. But I think it's a very different thing. Not that he can't do it, but I'm saying he hadn't proven that he did to take a good team and make them great. Now, Pete Carroll was able to do all of it. Take a bad team, make them good, and then soon make them great. Uh, you're not saying you can or can't do anything. But I think at this point, USC certainly should have a better record. There was a lot of questions about Steve Sarkeesian never winning more than five Pac-12 games. Uh, while I was at Washington, and Ed Orgeron won six. You know, people be critical of Ed Orgeron. Well, take it over in the middle of the program, winning six games. Uh, Now, it's up and down where he didn't have to put it in his system, and he kind of took over someone else's. Would it be different if he put his thing in there? I I don't know. I think it's harder probably to take over somebody else's system and run it as opposed to, you know, putting installing yours over the offseason and doing all that. But, um yeah, Ron, I mean, it's, it's, it, he's got some good points here. I understand the, the criticism of Sark when he was hired. I was I was in that same boat. I Sark kind of won me over uh, the way he did everything those nine months leading to the season, but really the proof was in the pudding during the season. And now you're seeing these kind of things pop up and losing games you shouldn't lose, uh, that's a problem. Not that they can't be fixed, but it's not an encouraging sign, I guess you could say. Um, let's go to... Steven San Diego, he says, title wave, question mark. Thanks for the podcast, longtime listener, and as a Trojan, it's much appreciated. No problem. Thanks for listening, Uh, Steve. He's like, how bad is the title wave of questions this week? Uh, There's been a ton, obviously. Um, He wants to know, uh, I know there are certain villagers calling for Wilcox heads. I don't fault the listeners based on the previous games this season. But the loss shouldn't be hung on the defense's meltdown in the last two minutes. The game fifth fails, uh, falls squarely on the coaching calling plays on offense. Last week's games forced me to reevaluate my view of Kessler. When we throw downfield, he looks like a way better quarterback. Let's not forget that the defense found a way to stop Utah from scoring three times inside the 10 earlier in the game when the play caller called plays that threw the ball downfield. Uh, when, when the play caller called plays that threw the ball downfield, we scored. Then the play caller would call two runs in a bubble screen, and it's three and out onto the next series. We had zero rhythm, and just didn't. It doesn't take what the defense give, and Sark doesn't take what the defense gives him. He needs to realize he is no Norm Chow. <laughs> uh, and I'm not going to read that part. He said uh, he is not. He isn't even Clay Helton. Question is, since the play caller is handpicked by Hayden, a 500 coach, when does Hayden's seat become really, really warm? Uh, I'm done going on my way to to watch the continuation of the Kiffin era. Just because the coach is uh, nicer and nicer in the media doesn't mean that anything has changed. We all have busy lives. No reason to go out of my way to watch or support this same exact train wreck 
under a different name. Time for Hayden to go. Uh, his big ass kiss to the to the NCAA did nothing for us. My, uh, men's basketball is suspect as best. Baseball's a disappointment, and his hand picked play caller wouldn't be a head coach anywhere else. Wow. Okay, so wanted to read all that one for you. Uh, Steven San Diego. Uh, interesting points there. I mean, he, he agrees with me as far as, like, I can't put this one on Wilcox and the defense. They were put in a lot of bad situations. And, and yeah, I think it's a fair point that last week, you know, the previous week against Colorado, they opened the ball up more. And uh, Dan mentioned in his column, Cody Kessler started the game 11 for 12, and they were throwing the football. And then he kind of went back to the game plan against uh, Boston College, and they are like, we have to run the football. And they were kind of forcing it. And like you said, it wasn't working. And they they went, you know, series after series after series, three and out, three and out, three and out. You're asking a lot of the defense there. And then for Pat Hayden is, uh, I'm not saying Pat Hayden's been fired. I think I like him a lot. I mean, he's a good dude. But does he think that at this point, does he know that this is his, the best, biggest decision he's made uh, as the athletic director at USC? It's always going to be hiring the head coach. And could he have gone a different direction and really pursued a Chris Peterson or Kevin Sumlin or whatever? Yeah, but they wanted to go with Steve Sarkeesian. That's his call. Now, it's not looking good for him right now because there there are these collapses. It's, it's, it's not even it, – it, if you were getting blown out of games and you want to talk about the roster or things like that, but the roster's fine. They're in the position to win the games and they lose them at the end. So – I think there is pressure on him. He knows. I mean, I, I don't think Pat Hayden's going to be fired. He's going to leave on his own accord when he wants to leave, and we'll, we'll kind of see when that is. Um, but, yeah, is there some pressure there? Does he feel – is he second-guessing himself? I mean, maybe. I don't know. You'd have to ask Pat that. But certainly it's something that Pat Hayden's in there. This is his big decision. And we're seeing fourth-quarter collapses. That's not something a coaching staff wants to be known for. All right, let's go to Eric in Georgia. He says, uh, I find myself being extremely critical of USC lately, and I'm wondering if I'm wrong for doing that. This team is not improving on what they've been do- what they've been doing wrong. The play calling is still average at best in situations, and the defense late in games turns into a prevent the big play but allow the teams to drive down the field and win at the end. Uh, this team's problems is not effort or heart or even talent. It's coaching and leading. If Sark can't get this, He's not the coach we thought he was. Thank you. I love the show. Uh, Eric, frustrated and disappointed in Georgia. And, you know, kind of similar stuff here. But um, there's, I wanted to bring this up because there's a lot of people talking about the prevent defense. And um, I think that, you know, we've seen different situations of the defense. Uh, you know, it's been Arizona State. I mean, they should have played prevent and they didn't. They were defending a play on the flat and see what Craven's up near the line of scrimmage. So I think it's not oh, just playing prevent, you shouldn't do that. I think there's different situations each time you're going out there. So uh, in this one, they allowed, you know, they didn't put any pressure. I, th- I thought there should have been some pressure on that final series and and give up a play, and you know, and, and try not to give up a play. They let them throw underneath all the time. They let the quarterback run. Uh, the pressure wasn't there, and Utah moved the ball down the field. So um, now – should they have been in that situation? The defense shouldn't have been. They should have been able to do something better on third and two and then would eventually turn into fourth and two. But you weren't. You were put there. You are thrown out. And I, I do think there should have been some pressure. They played called very vanilla 
kind of defense, and and that really hurt them. But I don't think it's one specific thing of, oh, you're only playing prevent, or you're only doing this, you're only doing that. All right, we've got a few more. I'm going to try to just touch on as many of these as possible because I feel bad everyone did the questions. Wouldn't if I couldn't have Dan do this? Dan, I'm, I'm going to give quicker answers than Dan usually, <laughs> so we'll uh, we'll go we'll go and try and get a few more of these in. Uh, Earl in West LA, he said three of the last four games have exposed our inability to finish and put opponents away. In spite of the talent and playmaking ability of this team, we seem to lack this essential quality. I'm starting to believe that the experts believe the experts that as good as these freshmen are, their lack of experience hinders the Trojans from performing to the level of fan expectations. What are your thoughts? Earl, I disagree with that. I don't think, I mean, you saw plays that Juju Smith or Doy Jackson have made. Those are true freshmen. Those guys were in high school last year. Um, I don't see this as the players don't have experience in these big games. You have to, as a coaching staff, put your players in the right situation. To me, that doesn't mean run a play you haven't seen before, that's not the right situation. It's what are they familiar with? What are they good at? We know what they can do in practice. We saw them execute this well. Let's have them execute this. If the other team makes a big play and stops us, fine. Um, you know, and I and I don't, you know, I, I think we've seen, you know, early in the game, Stuart Cravens making big plays in the backfield, you know. Uh, where were the blitz calls with him coming in there in the final drive? I mean, you weren't seeing that. So, to me, it's more about – it's on the coaching for me. I, I think the, the, the roster is fine. Now, it's getting thinner. There might be some more legitimate excuses going forward. But to me, it's not about, oh, this kid's a freshman. He doesn't know how to play in the fourth quarter. He knew how to play in the first. He knew how to play in the second. Put him in a position to, uh, to make a play in the fourth. I think you'll be okay. Let's go to uh, Juice in San Diego. He said, Sarkeesian reminds me of a bad online football player uh, like Madden or NCAA who has two or three gimmick plays that he audibles to after initially lining up for a field goal formation. Or, I'm sorry, initially lining up at a goal line formation. But once the opponent catches on to his gimmick play calling, consistently stuffs his plays, the lousy online player continues calling the same garbage plays. Well, that is Steve Sarkeesian in a nutshell, the clueless play caller who lacks the ability to recognize his shortcomings and make the necessary adjustments. The run wasn't going anywhere, and even though Cody was tearing up the secondary, he kept uh, calling plays that went for insufficient yardage. He needs to relinquish play-calling responsibilities now. We get Okay, so we get that a lot. That's Juice in uh, San Diego. I don't think you're completely accurate there, or at least I don't agree with you with a lot of stuff you're saying. I mean, I think he's shown he can do a good job calling plays, but there's certain reasons where he'll get into these ruts or um, – kind of get away from, hey, this looks like this is working. When Cody Kessler comes out on fire, let him keep throwing. Like, why did you switch to, he's 11 of 12. Why are you switching back to, you know, trying to force the ball in the run game where it's not working? I think when he's 11 of 12 and you slip some stuff in for Buck, I think you're going to be a lot more effective that way. But I'm not sure why. I mean, there's... Everyone has an ego. Every, you do everything, every decision you make in your life or every day, there's reasons behind it. We're questioning a lot of the reasons behind some of the direction, not not so much in, individual play calls. We can, we can critique those, but just the kind of direction a, the game will be going. And you see him switch from a philosophy of throwing the football to a philosophy of forcing the run when it wasn't really working. And and then the inability to kind of switch back. Oh, we better get back to what was working there. So, yeah, there's there does seem to be some kind of 
questions. What? Why do this? Why do that? What's the reason uh, behind that? But I, I wouldn't say it's like he's calling these gimmick plays kind of over and over. There was the gimmick plays really at the end of the game, but those were things that we hadn't really seen before. So, uh, I mean, the analogy, I, I don't play uh, Madden. I've played Madden and stuff before, but I don't play online or any of that stuff. So I can't really tell you if that's something that a lot of people do. But that doesn't the, the feeling I get, Juice, is that that's really what he's doing. But really, philosophy-wise, it seems like he starts going down uh, the wrong path every once in a while and then doesn't really want to kind of come back there. Uh, let's go to Chad in Riverside. He says, I get that the play calling could have been better, but players share half the blame for another heart-wrenching uh, loss. Rodgers dropping that lateral, giving up. Um, Turk continuing to snap very poorly. Aguilar dancing and falling down short of the first down marker. Then stepping out on the infamous fourth down. Kessler making a wide open, missing a wide open Juju Smith in the third, following it up with an interception. Kessler throwing to the most hisly bad pass on third and two. Uh, Deke uh, consistently becoming a sieve late in the fourth quarter drives. At what point do we say the obviously USC lacks top-end talent they enjoyed during Pete's run? Sanctions have done what Paul D. set out for them to do. The future may be bright with Adori, Juju, Cravens, Toa, and Viani, but the present is hard to watch. Um, Chad and Riverside, and he said, uh, Dory should have had that second touchdown. Pac-12 refs screwed up that call royally. The runner was moving towards the end zone. How do you call that down and blow the whistle? Those seven points could have come in handy. For the last part, Chad, yeah, certainly – that was blown by the Pac-12 refs, and Dan talked about in his column where, you know, for the on the USC side, they blow the whistle, take away a touchdown. On the Utah side, where they had actually told players to stop blocking because the play was over, they don't blow the whistle, and Utah gets a touchdown. So th- those things definitely happen to the Pac-12, and you know that. You're going to get those kind of things. But as far as your other points, I mean, it's terrible. I mean, you can't make excuses that the Pac-12 needs to – Clean house in the officiating crews. It's just so inconsistent. Uh, and USC definitely seems to be on the short end of the stick quite a bit. Um, but as far as be, that being on the players, I think there is top-end talent on this team. I don't agree with you. Uh, now, is there as much of it during the Pete Carroll years? No. But, I mean, the Leonard Williams of the world, Cody Kessler is one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the country. You got Max Brown behind him. If you need to go to another guy, you didn't like him. You got a five-star guy there. Uh, you know, Nelson Aguilar, Buck Allen. I mean, there's there's a lot of talent on this team. And the, the two deep, for the most part, is as good or better than anybody in the conference. I, I mean, Coach Hyde talked about that. I think Dan Weber would agree. Um, they don't have as much depth, for, certainly. But I think, to reiterate this point, this roster was good enough to beat every team that USC lost to this year. It's that simple. It's not about... You know, Aguilar made this blunder. Or he's made tons of plays. I mean, there. I think the, it's still more on the coaching staff to put them in situations. Now, are players screwing up? Yeah. I mean, if you looked at that Kessler interception where he threw it behind Aguilar, I don't, I don't, I can't really put that on the coaches. Now, maybe it's because he looked very lackadaisical out there. He looked like he was kind of going through the motions. It was a very lazy looking play. Aguilar made a very lazy looking attempt at the catch. Now, was it because they were going through and, and getting three and outs and they weren't really happy with the offense? Maybe. I don't know. Is some of that on the coaching? Probably is. But for those players who played well a lot of the game looked terrible in that series and looked terrible on that play. Uh, 
I don't have to, I, you know, I'm going to have to blame the players on that one. I'm not, you know, but you know, I'm sure the coaches could do something else uh, there as well. So it's uh, it's really interesting to kind of see um, Chad, the the players versus the coaches thing. We most of the, the emails we're getting in are about the coaches, but there's certainly a lot about the players too. Um, you know, it's a uh, it's a tough situation, but you got to get everyone on the same page. It starts with the head coach on his way down. Don't get Cody Kessler to a point where he's frustrated late in the game and going through the motions or, or Aguilar is pissed off about something and reaches his hand back instead of trying, you know, whatever, trying to make a better play on the ball. So I, I think it's every, everyone can kind of be blamed about that one, but I'm still putting more on the coaches. Um, Frank in Sacramento says, please don't start to this fire the coach crap. Sark ran two good plays to get the last first down. Both should have worked. The kids just didn't execute. We talked about this, Frank, but I just wanted to read your thing. Don't agree with you there. Uh, good plays as far as if we use the last analogy of video game. Yeah, the guy was open. Good plays in the players were familiar with them. They were comfortable with them. They run a lot in practice. No. Uh, so that's where my distinction is. I'm not saying that it shouldn't have worked or couldn't have worked, but I think that you're taking a risk by throwing to a guy that never catches the football on a critical situation. And USC's done this in the past too. Uh, it's interesting where like huge critical plays, it's more like trying to trick the other team. We're going to throw the guy that we never throw to. You'll never expect that. Well, the guy you never throw to never catches either. So you can't really expect him to make a play um, in a situation like this. All right, we got one last one. Um, this is from John. He said uh, he really loved, he goes, kudos for your quote of the season. And I tweeted this out during the game. You can follow me on Twitter at Inside Troy. One thing the coaching staffs don't want to be known for is fourth quarter collapses. <laughs> and uh, so he loved the tweet, and I think it actually got retweeted a lot. And it's true. And that's the, this this staff is, um, you know, you don't want to be known for that. But when you do it three times in the last four weeks, you know, losing two of those games, it's uh, it's kind of a question. So, um, you know, John kind of wrote in. It's really long. I don't want to read the whole thing. But he wants to know what we should look forward to in Pullman uh, at the end. And that's a, it's a really good question, uh, John. I think any game, like I said this earlier, I thought even Colorado was a losable game after losing to Boston College. You can lose any game on the schedule. Now, USC beat the crap out of Colorado. But Colorado played UCLA tough. So, uh, I mean, that's a different situation. Colorado could have played well. They didn't play well. USC played really well. Played more to what their capabilities are, um, which is what you want to see, and put them away. That's why I think that, you know, Colorado can be pretty good. I mean, they almost beat UCLA, double overtime or whatever. This team is capable of playing well, and I think you need to open things up and play to the strengths. And that's why I think there's a lot of coaching criticism as that you don't just need to open it up against Fresno State and Colorado. You can open it up against Arizona State, and you can open it up against uh, Utah and have success. And they didn't. And is that more of playing scared or coaching scared, calling play scared? I mean, I, I think you could argue that for real. I think you could argue that. Um, they feel more comfortable against overmatched opponents and and you should but i think you can have that similar kind of game plan now is, is kessler going to throw for seven touchdowns against utah no but it go through for four you know and then the game's over it doesn't matter so yeah what do we i don't know what we're going to see in pullman i'm going to be up there for that game john it'll be really interesting to kind of see 
how that all goes down. Uh, but it's a team that can – it's a dangerous team, especially on the road, especially after, you know, losing this game. Now, USC bounced back the last time they had a, a collapse. Uh, we'll see if they're able to do that again. I'm not sure. You still want to have so many uh, situations where you're collapsing, collapsing, collapsing. Oh, how do they respond to this collapse? How do they respond to last that collapse? You don't want to have any collapses. So, um, I mean, another one would be devastating. You have to get some kind of momentum going into the rivalry game. So I, I wish I could tell you what you could expect to see in Pullman, John. I just do not know. All right. Well, sorry again. Apologize for our the Internet connections. We're doing this uh, remotely in rural Tennessee. Um, but hopefully we got a, a informative podcast for you. We'll get Dan Weber back again on the show uh, next week. But thanks so much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. We will be back again next week. I'll try to do a recruiting one this week uh, with Gerard Martinez. Maybe we'll get some special guests, too, and do a, another special one. But thanks again for joining the show, and we will talk to you next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.